0: Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. My name is Chris Rawl. If you have not signed up for my newsletter, you need to go and do that. I have a website. It is www.chrisrawl.com. My name, shockingly enough, if you go there and click on the subscribe button in the top right-hand corner, put your email address in, then every Wednesday morning, you will be getting an email from me about various things going on in the world of sports. Go and do that, please, and thank you. And now we move into today's show where I talk about the mental side of sports and championship-level versatility. Now, close your eyes and sleep. 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 So I'm constantly talking about the mind, and I'm constantly talking about versatility. I know this about myself. I'm self-aware enough to understand that these are two things that I'm very, very, very fascinated by, especially within the world of sports. Uh, and I think this week is a really good Opportunity to reflect upon that because we just went through the British Open, which is the last incredible sports event that we're going to get for a month and a half before Nebraska Northwestern jumps out. And yes, I just said that's going to be an incredible sporting event. But this is the last really high-level, high-stakes sporting event that I personally am going to care about until the end of August and football season comes upon us. Uh, And what we watched over the course of four days at St. Andrews was... Those two things combined uh, and how they're always threaded into the making of a champion. You need versatility. It's required to win a championship. And you need that combination of both mental and physical. Again, things that I'm always thinking about, recognizing and trying to apply into my own life, whether that's my own golf game or whether that's just various facets of things that I do. I think there's a lot of different ways you can find success. That's why versatility is key. And I think the mind is an incredibly powerful tool. And if you utilize it correctly, you can do a lot of things that maybe you thought weren't possible for yourself. You look around the the world of sports right now, and all of the champions kind of symbolize the combination of those two things. You know, the Golden State Warriors, they're they're like a Swiss army knife of a team. Offensively, that's true. It's Steph Curry is the sun and everybody else is moving around him, but it's really an incredible offensive system to watch. And more importantly on the defensive side, I think that's really where golden state's versatility stands out. Whether that's Draymond is the anchor or just everybody that spawns off of that. It's the true cliche, you know, connected on a string. And there's just so many defensive possessions that occurred throughout the playoffs. And over the years as golden state has won multiple championships where you really see that on display, just these high level, physical freaks, and I mean that in a very complimentary way, who are also connected mentally to their own game and understanding where I need to be and how to defend period, but then also doing that with in, in unison with the other four people on the floor. It's really a, kind of a breathtaking thing to watch. And, and across all professional sports, again, it's just, it's there. You need versatility. You need the mental and the physical, you need everybody kind of on that same page. You need a lot of different ways to beat an opponent on any given day. That's really important. Uh, Los Angeles Rams, great example. A team that in the past has maybe kind of been a one-trick pony in how they're going to come and attack you in this last season on their way to the Super Bowl. I mean, depending on the game, there's just a lot of different things that the Rams were doing that could give you fits, whether that was Stafford in the passing game, whether that was Sean McVay in that great running game just the way that it's schemed and what it opens up or whether that's the defense and the way Aaron Donald can wreck you or the way that Jalen Ramsey can lock somebody down or just the general scheme that the Rams were employing throughout the year that gave a lot of different teams fits my own team, the Colorado avalanche who I've spoken at great lengths on this show and within my own personal life to everybody who has two ears. They're probably in my opinion, the greatest symbol of championship level versatility that currently exists because two years ago, and even into last year, they were kind of the ultimate one-trick pony. And the one trick was sensational and awesome and immediately made them a very competitive hockey team, just a otherworldly transition game. Speed, 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 get out and skate and create chances off the rush. Colorado was sensational at doing that over the last few years. Now, I think where their brain really started to enter into the fray, not just players, but coaches and management was watching that team come up short a couple years in the playoffs and understanding, OK, if a team takes away our transition attack, we need to be able to do other things. And you saw that in the way that the Avalanche built their team out. And you saw that in the way that the Avalanche played hockey throughout the regular season last year or this season and really throughout the playoffs in route to a 16 and four record in the Stanley Cup. They're, they're going through free agency right now. The NHL is, and we thought Josh Manson was going to be walking and going and signing somewhere else. And instead the avalanche sign him. And now I'm looking at their actual defense core and it's the perfect encapsulation of this particular concept. Just the variety of ways that these six people can beat you is astounding. After Sam Gerrard broke his sternum against St. Louis in round two. And he was out and they had to play Jack Johnson and I was down in the dumps about it. But I also was getting pretty giddy because Bone Byron was making the next step and looks like he's a star in the making. And they already have Makar and Taze, who is the best defensive pairing in hockey. And I started envisioning this world, which now we will enter next season with of a top six that has every possible skill they have. Every pairing can do offense, it can do defense, it can hurt you in a variety of ways, it can do whatever's necessary. Right at the top, I mentioned McCarr and Taze, they're the perfect example, but you even look at Byram and Eric Johnson, the way that they exploded as a pairing in the playoffs, and they were just doing incredible things on both ends of the ice. And right before Gerard broke his sturdum, you're really starting to see him and Josh Manson really start to click to the point where... Every pairing they rolled out there could fuel the offense. Every pairing out there could defend their own zone and defend the neutral zone, more importantly, for the way that Colorado wants to play. And you saw just this versatile defensive engine drive everything for the Avalanche to the point where we got to the end of the playoffs. They're 16 and four. They're hoisting the Stanley Cup. And I was saying, man, it almost didn't matter who was goaltending in these playoffs. Pavel Francouz or Darcy Kemper, they both played about average at best hockey in net And still the Avalanche steamrolled everybody to the point where over free agency, I think Joe Sakic looked around and said, "Okay, we're willing to let Darcy Kemper walk because we're not going to lock up $25 million in cap space to a goaltender over five years like the Washington Capitals did. And so they make a trade for Alexander Georgiev from the Rangers, less money at the goaltender position, which in turn is a bet upon the versatility of their skaters and the versatility of their defense core saying, all right. We already proved that goaltending is not going to matter in the playoffs with this team if we are firing on all cylinders. So let's lean into that and go from there. So what's happening all, all around, you know, hockey, football, basketball. If I cared about baseball or soccer, I could get into it, but I don't. So I'm not going to. Uh, what I want to get into is golf. Because golf, there's so many facets of the game. And as I spoke about on two different shows last week, the British Open specifically, it's the ultimate test of versatility. And I love it. It's just, it's so great at testing all facets of your game. And if all of them are not strong enough, they don't all have to be A+, but if all of them are not strong enough, then you will cave. You will not be able to win. Uh, you get to a course like the old course at St. Andrews or any of the courses that make it into the rotation for the Open every year. And you go, okay, I mean, there's a lot of questions when it comes to turf conditions. A lot of questions when it comes to weather and the combination of those two factors. Some days it means power is really important. Some days it means ball striking, just the ability to shape your shots to flight it with the wind against the wind through the wind, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Some days it's about scrambling. Actually all days it's going to be about scrambling at the British open. There's just no way around it because of the way that these green complexes are set up and then putting the one skill that no matter what we know on a major Sunday, You're going to have to make some putts in order to win. There's just no possible way around it. Now that's all physical. That's all way hard stuff to do. (laughs) The person who constantly biffs on himself on the golf course, I can attest. Those are all very, very, very tough things. However, even when you get those things aligned and you're going, I'm feeling good about all stuff, the full swing, my wedge game around the greens, on the greens, everything, Then you flip the switch and go, okay, even with all that in place, every single day that you play in a major, it's about surviving the mental strain. First and foremost of being in a major championship, which would be just mind-numbing, crushing pressure, but also the mental strain of playing Lynx golf. The unknowable stuff that I love, 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 love. It throws that just little bit more natural element into a sport that some people want to control, and I just hit it into my track, man, and it tells me what I need. And I like the artistic side. It's just something that, I don't know, maybe it's because my brain thinks that way. I'd like to think that way on the golf course. Just like to think of the variety of ways that shots can be played. And Lynx golf is all about that. You know, just mental, mental, mental over and over. So throughout the course of this last week, there's actually a really interesting conversation that was occurring. And it was about Dustin Johnson on Live from the Open, just the great television programming that the Golf Channel does where they have their analysts there and they're just talking around the clock about various topics in golf and Dustin Johnson, you know, he had a great tournament finished top 10. He was hanging around the top of the leaderboard, the entire tournament. And the conversation was going into Saturday and it was about DJ and also just kind of the live crowd in general. And I thought it was a really interesting conversation that the way that the live stuff has gone, it's turned into just everybody's pick aside and they just say you're dumb and we don't, we just want to shout about this thing. And, and I think there's a lot of nuance as it pertains to the golfing side and the competitive side, which I hadn't necessarily thought about to this extent until it was mentioned on live from the open. And it really got me thinking because they're talking, I don't like Dustin Johnson this week. Not because necessarily he doesn't have the physical tools. We know that he's won majors. He's been one of the best golfers in the world for the last decade. Uh, but, but their worry was just you need to keep your competitive chops sharpened which I also believe, I I think that's a really important foundational aspect of playing really high-level competitive golf. And they were saying, it's going to be hard to do that when you aren't really competing for the majority of the year, as we've seen in the brief couple tournaments that Liv has put on. And it seems like we're probably going to be headed even more there as more people sign up, more guaranteed money is pushed out, and there's not a ton of financial incentive for professional golfers to keep really locked into their craft. Now that's a physical thing. You know, the keeping locked in practicing all that kind of stuff. You hear the quotes from Matthew Wolf that I read on a show a couple times ago. And you just go, this guy doesn't sound like he wants to practice. That's fine. That's cool. Take your money, run good for you. But there's still going to be a lot of people playing on that tour that I think will care about practicing. The question is training your mind So, when you show up at a major championship, it's not this foreign thing that you haven't experienced in four months. I think that's one of the benefits of playing on the PGA Tour, at least in the past, because that's where the majority of the good golfers are. You get that flow within your mind of, I'm playing for stakes every single week and I understand them and I'm used to this pressure and this atmosphere. And yes, major championships four times a year, it's going to be ratcheted up some, but it's not going to be completely foreign. So, they had this big conversation around, Dustin Johnson and the lives crowd, which I think is pretty valid. I don't necessarily think that's why he lost this week. I just think Cam Smith was awesome and Dustin Johnson could have done some things better, but whatever. But I do think it's a really valid question and one that I think will be incredibly interesting to monitor moving forward as we get more people moving to live and live people not being able to play in a lot of the tournaments that in the past you would use in order to sharpen that mental component inside you for major championship golf. So that side ties into pressure, which is one of the most important things in competitive golf is training to perform under pressure. You know, just even on an amateur level, that's been one of the most foundational pieces for me getting better and putting myself out there in order to compete over and over and over Uh, it at a reasonable level is playing for stakes, you know, and I didn't understand at the time. I just, I like to gamble. And so. I get in with a bunch of groups of friends and they're going, yep, here's the this is the buy-in, this is what we're playing for. There's always money, always money, always stakes, always stakes. We'll go play in tournaments, always stakes. This is your buy-in. Here's your skins pot. Always stakes, always stakes. And at first I just did it because I like the gambling aspect of it. But as I got really, really, really into the competitive side and just wanting to get better, I started to understand, oh, this is a really important tool because playing for stakes is different than playing for nothing. Which you hear and you say, well, no shit. That Of course, that's true. But I don't think you fully understand it, especially in the game of golf where it is so mental, until you do that. And you go out and you just blast around with your friends for nothing and it's cool, okay, great. Yeah, you have fun, go home, feel good about life, sure. Uh, If you want to get better, and especially if you want to sharpen the mental side of your game, And especially put yourself in position for when you're in higher leverage situations. You're not sitting there with your heart pounding a million miles an hour going, I've never been in something like this. I don't know what to do. This is terrifying. That's where this comes in. It's like exercising a muscle, you know? It's the more that I do it, the more comfortable I become. Which the sport itself is about being able to make any situation seem like it's something you've encountered a million times before. So any situation you get in physically, you go, I know how to hit this shot. Maybe I've never hit the shot in my entire life, but I've hit something similar or I feel comfortable doing this and I'm going to envision it in my mind. I'm going to imagine it and I'm going to hit it. And then especially on the mental side, especially when the pressure starts crushing into your chest, you go, okay, I know this is coming and I've been here before and I know how to make it through the other side. So Cam Smith is the champion golfer, the British Open, who is a badass golfer who won me money this week because I bet his future. And I love everything about his game. I love it. He's been one of my favorite people to bet over the last couple of years, especially pre-players championship this year when he had a lot of pricing in head-to-heads that was lagging behind where his skills had actually gone to, which was one of the best golfers in the world. But I don't think a lot of people realize that until recently this year. So you get him against some of the best in the world at really plus money, just juicy matchup odds. And I'd go Cam Smith, Cam Smith, Cam Smith over and over and over. Now, Cam Smith has all the physical tools and the one thing that he lacked in the past was a little more pop off the tee, a little more power and he's put in work and he's showed this year that he has added power. So now we have one of the best wedge players in the world. One of the best players around the greens in the world, probably for my money, the best putter in the world, especially the best putter under pressure. And now you're going, okay, this guy has all the physical tools. Well, what about the mental side? Well, the mental side is probably my favorite part of Cam Smith's game. There was actually something he was talking about it was after Saturday's round when it looked like he'd shot himself out of the tournament. He shot a 73 that day. He'd been scorching on Thursday and Friday and then just total dud. And so he's four shots back going into Sunday behind uh, Rory and Victor Hovland. It just seemed like it was going to be one of those two. And this is what Cam Smith said after his round on Saturday. I think I was really frustrated with how the round went. I just really put it down to Link's golf. So I shrugged it off pretty good. I really didn't dwell on it too much, end quote. So it's one thing to say that because I think all golfers will say that even though a lot of them will sit and stew and stew and it will carry over to the next day. And you go, you know what? This just wasn't my week because I got bit on the ass on Saturday and it was a Lynx golf round and the wind blew me on this hole and I could have hit it into a good spot here, but it took a left bounce and then I was in a pothole bunker and then I had a weird funky lie, and then I did this and I made double here, all that kind of stuff. And the true separation occurs when you say those words and you go out and show that the next day. It's one thing to say. I just didn't really dwell on it, but, uh, you know, I can shrug it off. It's Lynx golf. What do you do? I'll go back and I'll be prepared for Sunday. And instead, that's what Cam Smith comes out and does. He's, he's just right from the get-go. You can tell, okay, this guy's pretty locked in. And especially the turn when he makes four straight birdies, 10, 11, 12, 13. I mean, he's just, He is there for the moment. Uh, It's somebody who has been training for a long period of time physically and mentally for something like this. Now, I mentioned the putter, and that skill specifically is what just balled the hell out on Sunday, and actually over the course of Cam Smith's career. It's been the one anchor point that any time he plays golf, you know Cam Smith's putter is going to be alive and probably breathing fire. On Sunday, it was even more so. It was just Cam Smith. Flame throwing hole after hole after hole as he chased down Rory and then surpassed him and then closed him out on 17 and 18. Uh, I want to read a couple stats about first Cam Smith and his putting, and then second Rory, uh, a person who was really 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 good this entire week and has been really good this season. Who has unfortunately for him fallen short in the majors this year, but has also pieced together a really just impressive resume over the course of 2022. This is this first stat it comes from Justin Ray of The Athletic. Cam Smith gained 11.96 strokes on the field, putting this week, the most of any player by more than a stroke and a half. In the final round, he gained 3.1, a full five more than the man he chased down, Rory McIlroy. When combining strokes gained on and around the greens for the tournament, Smith racked up 3.37 per round, easily the most of any player. And then this about Rory. His two highest total number of putts in a single major round have now both come at St. Andrews in round two in 2010 when he had 39 and Sunday when he had 36. By strokes gained, McElroy ranked 73rd out of 83 players in the field on Sunday at the old course, end quote. So you're talking about two of the most gifted golfers on planet Earth. And they both did a ton of things really well this week. And on Sunday, it just kind of came down to around the greens as it should at a Lynx golf course, as it should at the old course. Uh, And that's a component that I love, 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 love about the way that Lynx golf is, the way that it tests your short game. Because short game, that's where the pressure and the nerves are going to show themselves the most when you're clipping these chips off a tight, barely visible grass as it is all over the old course or you're trying to hit these putts over these huge swells and through these valleys and trying to just not jab it and run it through and go, I got to make sure I get it through. Like the stuff that you saw, especially out of Cam Smith on Sunday, you just take off your hat and you say, yes, you deserve to win. This is how a golf course should function. You get to the end of it and you say, who was the best person this week? Was this field clearly separated because this person was the best? Yes. And yes. Just look at the end of his round, like all the birdies that came before Great. Awesome. That's the way he charged him down. But 17 and 18 specifically, if you go and look at the up and downs that Cam Smith made on both of those holes for par on 17, the most famous hole in the course, the road hole, nasty, nasty, nasty as hell. And then 18 when he got up and down uh, for birdie to eventually win by one shot over Cam Young, both of those combinations of putts, I guess technically they were all putts. So we're talking about four putts 17. He's short of the road hole bunker. And they're going, this is just an impossible thing to get close. And he takes putter and he's putting it along the ridge of the bunker line, which then propels it and slings it towards the right of the hole. It's just, it's a putt that looks so fun to try. And I could go and probably practice it for hours and hours and really enjoy myself. That's not a joke. And then I think of it with a major championship on the line. And I go, this would be terrifying because he putt a little left and you putt it into the bunker and you look like a complete dipshit. And you put it too hard and then it's running over here and you put it too soft and then it's running back here. And instead he hits a perfect shot to then give himself a 15 foot putt to save par, which he throws. He just doesn't it doesn't look like he's even feeling anything. It's the iceman, he's going, hmm, this is a situation I've been in a million times before. My mind's focused, and the one thing that I know that I can trust at all times is my putter. Then on 18, he drives it short. He elects to play putter up a huge ridge, slings it over to two feet, hits that in. Game, set, match. It's filthy, filthy, filthy and disgusting stuff for any golf round if you were just playing it with your mates. But when you comprehend what is on the line, the amount of pressure that is going into these specific situations and what is required, that's when you go, that's pretty special stuff. You know, the versatility that's required around the greens at St. Andrews, that's going to test everybody in every possible way. You are not going to get out of this tournament with little blips in your short game. You go, I'm not super comfortable hitting this type of chip or I'm not a great, you just can't get away with it at a course like St. Andrews. It's a dream for somebody like me who loves the artistic side of the sport, which that facet encourages over and over and over and over and over again. Just, hey, you're going to need every shot and every, more importantly than having every shot actually is the ability to think and to really imagine things on and around greens. The one thing you hear talked about over and over about British Open Golf, Lynx Golf. Hey, there's 300 different ways you can play this shot around the road hole bunker. What do you want to do? Now, if you zoom out a tiny bit and you just look at the state of men's golf and you look at the current four major winners, they're all so great encapsulations of just, hey, you need versatility and you need the mental side. Uh, You need pretty much everything, you know? You can't really stay afloat In most of these tournaments, if you have something that is going to drag you down when the pressure ratchets up, you know, Scotty Scheffler, major champion, Justin Thomas, Matthew Fitzpatrick, now Cam Smith. Those are four people that all have a very important thing in common. They have very well-rounded golf games. Like I mentioned, Smith used to lack a little bit of the power that he needed in order to be this good. Now he has it. Fitzpatrick did the exact same thing. He was more of a pop gunner and then he put in work. And he's long, he's, I mean, he's out driving Dustin Johnson when he's playing with him at the US Open that he eventually wins. And then Thomas and Scheffler both, you just see, okay, these guys just know what to do. They've got the shots, they got the power, they can do what is necessary. And depending upon course and depending upon condition, that versatility really allows you to stay afloat. You know, it allows different skills to carry the round depending upon the day, on the turf conditions, on the weather, on all of the different things that a golf round can throw at you. That's where that comes into play. So I want to highlight real quick the person who one of the people who did not win, which was Rory, because like I said, he's had an amazing year, Um, but he's also fallen short in all four majors. And there also are there's still a decent crowd within the world of golf that has a lot of questions about the mental side of the game for Rory. Before we get into that, I want to read one more stat from Justin Ray about Rory. McIlroy finished eighth or better in all four major championships this year, but did not win any of them. Over the last 50 years, only two other players have had a major season like that, Ben Crenshaw in 1987 and Ricky Fowler in 2014, end quote. That's actually a really incredible performance to finish in the top eight at all four majors. Uh, People will, well, some people will piss on that because The you have to win in order for us to acknowledge things crowd. They really don't care about that. Uh, I gravitate towards the other side, especially in golf. And I go, if you are hanging around and competitive in a lot of tournaments, that is infinitely more impressive than winning one tournament. I don't care what the tournament is. Just a showcase that you are good at golf and you have what it takes. And for one reason or another, you just haven't been able to piece it together. Or somebody else, like Sunday, came out and snatched it from you, you know? Sometimes you just get beat. It's as simple as that. Rory had his opportunities. Uh, he hit every green in regulation on Sunday. He was 18 out of 18. You hear that and you go, this dude is probably the winner. You know, on a different day, he probably does because instead of Cam Smith getting scorching hot, a couple of those putts slip out. And the next thing you know, Rory's there going, oh, okay, cool. I've won my first major for, or since 2014. Instead, he has his opportunities with his putter and he just kept two putting. You know, he had the 36 putts. Just, okay, I got a 20 footer. I got to make this. Okay. Missed it. Put it in for par. Okay. Move it on the next. Okay. Again, 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 again. It's one of those rounds that if you just played outside of Sunday at a major championship or when all the lights are the brightest, if you're an amateur and, and everything is on the line, you go, I really like how I played today. I hit the ball. Well, my putts didn't go in, but that's not necessarily because I was bad at putting. Sometimes that's just the way that golf works on any individual day. Sometimes those same putts all go in and you get a Cam Smith flamethrower performance. So Rory gets knocked because he hasn't won a major since 2014. Some people think that that's a thing. Okay, great. And and because of that, a lot of questions abound about the mental side, which I I hear and I don't think are super fair. Um, I, I don't think that it's necessarily this great mental struggle within his mind and he shrivels up and just a lot of the things that are said. I think it's just sometimes you lose in a really talented field of golfers. I I really do think it can be that simple. Um, And some days Cam Smith's there and he goes out of his mind and shoots 64 on the final day and you lose by two. And that's the way that life works. Now, what's interesting about Rory and Cam kind of being the two people that are right there hovering at the top and actually even Cam Young, who was ended up in solo second after that great Eagle on 18. You're talking about people who have Pretty similar demeanors, you know, kind of the water under the bridge approach that I personally abide by in golf, which is one of many ways that you can find success in golf and in major championship golf and in amateur golf. And if you expand it across sports, it's just another one of these little reminders. I like to make note of them and just kind of think about them, let them marinate as as I'm looking for my own mental strategies and how I'm going to stay afloat, A, on the golf course and B, in life. But it's just another thing that, okay, there are a lot of different ways to prepare and cope with stuff. There's a lot of different ways to prepare and cope with high-level sports on the mental side. You know, I've talked a lot about Nathan McKinnon as the avalanche were winning the cup who comes from that Michael Jordan school of leadership. Just, I expect everything and more from myself and I put in the work day and night to make sure that happens. And because of that, I will demand the exact same out of every single one of my teammates. And I will not hesitate to bitch every single person out who does not fall in line and do that exact same thing. It's way intense, but you're also talking about one of, if not the best basketball players in the history of the sport and McKinnon, who's been one of the best hockey players of his generation. You know, you have an offshoot of that, a uh, Kobe Bryant, who he came from kind of the same sociopathic competitive side, but. My knock against Kobe and one of the main reasons I really did not like him as he played basketball was he was always, I want to win so bad, but I need to win on my terms. That's the one thing that really turned me off about his approach. I respected all the work and all that kind of stuff, but I I really do not like the style of if we are winning, it has to be on my terms. Otherwise, I'm going to pout and I'm going to sit around and I'm going to go. Nope, no, 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 I need to be the driving engine. It's kind of the polar opposite of his contemporary at the time, the person who I had gravitated towards and really just loved the style, A, of basketball that he played, but more importantly, B, his his demeanor and just his mental approach was Tim Duncan, who won a championship his first year in the league in 1999. So he never had to put up with the questions of like, can you win being this, you know, seemingly gentle, nice guy who just kind of goes about his business and doesn't talk shit and seems like he's kind of chill. And instead, Duncan just was the consummate winner. And he was the... I will do anything it takes to win. I don't care if I shoot zero times. I don't care if I just have to go and play defense Rudy Gobert style. I don't care if I have to pull down 20 rebounds tonight and that's it. I will do everything, including as his career stretched on and physical issues started to crop up as his legs are going out. And Duncan was like, okay, I'll play 20 minutes. I'll do whatever it takes. I want to win. And you really saw that during the course of the 2014 Spurs championship run where Duncan was content going, you know what? I'll give you stuff in fits and spurts, and I'm more than content doing that because all I care about is getting another championship. That's the kind of stuff that I really love. That's the approach that I prefer, but there's a million different ways to get there. You know, LeBron's kind of a a branch off the tree of Duncan. That's why I gravitated towards him really early in his career, but he took the flack that Duncan never did, despite the fact that I think they come from the same place. LeBron seems pretty chill. Okay, yeah, LeBron. He wants to win and he will do anything it takes in order to win. And that also means if I need to not shoot, that's fine. I will make the best basketball play time and time again. And that was the knock on him throughout the entire first eight years of his career. Hey, you passed in the corner to Daniel Marshall for that game winning three. Ha, Kobe and Jordan would never do that. That was a true knock that was on LeBron until he finally broke through. Now he's won a bunch of championships. Now we all understand, okay, this guy's approach is very successful and it's what makes him unique and LeBron. And then down the list to, to golf, you know, Rory and Cam Smith, they're kind of, they both come from that similar style of just, you know what, I seem like I'm pretty chill and I'm definitely chill on the golf course. And this is the way that I'm going to navigate. Rory's done it in the past winning majors. Cam just barely did it. It's the polar opposite approach of the early tiger, just scorched earth. I'm going to burn everything to the ground in every possible way. And I will just stare daggers at you. I will not talk to you. I will not acknowledge one fan. I am here to murder everybody and hoist a championship trophy. All these things can work. You know, a lot of different ways to prepare, a lot of different ways to cope with things in life. Uh, and Tigers actually, I'm, I'm glad that I brought him up because that's a good place to end the show. Because one of the moments, if not, depending upon how Tiger's career plays out, we might look at the moment of this tournament in retrospect is Tiger's Walkdown 18, which if you haven't watched it, really incredible. You should go and watch it. About a minute 20 of him walking down 18 on Friday as he's not making the cut, just really struggled and huge standing ovation, everybody and Rory tips his cap, Tiger's tearing up, which is very rare to see Tiger do in a situation like that. But it was just one of those moments, you know, when you're very aware of the passage of time and the way that it doesn't stop, no matter who you are, you know, you can seem like you are the most invincible athlete in the history of entire sport. And there's going to come a point when you are not going to be that. We've seen, that kind of happened over the last couple years with Tiger. Uh, and, and it's just another reminder, you know, we're going to see it with all athletes. We're going to see it in our own lives. You know, there's going to come a day where I'm sitting there going, ah, I'm significantly older than I used to be and I don't like that as much. And how do I rectify that in my mind? So that walk was just, it was it, it was a passage of time moment, you know, and it was also for purposes of this show, just that last blip, you know, that we can take away from the open of just, Nobody symbolizes championship level versatility more than this dude. You know, his body's broken down at this point. His mind, it's in a different place than it used to be, but seems like it's probably for the better for his own life. But at its peak, you're talking about a person who could beat you in any conceivable way. You know, whatever the day demanded, one thing wasn't firing, this could pick up the slack. Got the power, it's the irons. Around the green stuff, just true genius, actually. You know, and I don't say that word lightly. One of the people that I really think Represents that within their field. I think that a very few people, but Tiger within the world of golf is that, you know, a genius in how he chose to approach the game and also imagine in his mind, you know, around the greens on the greens approach, all that kind of stuff. You know, we're talking about the greatest mental game in the history of sports. In my opinion, that's what's walking off on 18 on Friday. So I was reading some Tiger stuff um, because why wouldn't I? And I actually came across an old article that I think there's a couple of paragraphs that are really good. And they're awesome as we reflect on why we watch sports. And they're also awesome when we reflect on Tiger's career, but also just the power of the mind within sport. And it was from 2015, this article was. It was written by Kevin Van Valkenburg, who's a great writer for ESPN. Probably the best writer in golf, in my opinion. And he wrote this in 2015 when Tiger was struggling and everybody thought, this is just, this is it. And there's no coming back. And now we have to rectify just what this guy is now relative to what he used to be in the past. So I'm gonna end today's show with the words of Kevin Van Valkenburg. Here they are. There was a time not too long ago when I felt only schadenfreude when I watched Tiger Woods struggle on the golf course. I'm hardly alone. There are millions like me and we're not haters no matter what Tiger apologists might have you believe. We always appreciated his athletic brilliance, his steely determination, his grace under pressure, and for what he meant to the game, sociologically and financially. But it was hard for some of us to pull for Goliath. At his peak, rooting for Tiger felt like rooting for a corporation. Yes, he might have been awe-inspiring and innovative in thrilling ways. True, he was like a god with a wedge and a putter but it was still difficult to overlook how poorly he treated some people, how he cast them as disposable things in his life. I loved watching him, I just couldn't love him. Maybe you never cared what kind of man he was or who he stepped on during his reign. You simply wanted to see golf played at a higher level than it had ever been played throughout the game's history and Tiger gave you that. That's okay too, no judgment here. This is the beauty of watching sports. We seek out what resonates with each of us and we root accordingly. Tiger was an artist, and that's an important part of his legacy too. He didn't just smash the golf ball, he often made it dance. Go to YouTube the next time you're feeling despondent about the state of his game. Watch the way he used to shape the ball around trees or fly it low and knife it through the wind. His imagination, not his power, will be his legacy. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Go and sign up for my newsletter. It's at chrisroll.com. Hit the subscribe button, put your email address in, and tomorrow you'll be getting my email about, I'm not sure yet because I haven't written it, but it will be coming. Please, thank you. I will talk to you on Friday.